Well, church, go ahead and grab your Bibles and flip with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. We are in week 6 of our Saved and Sent sermon series, and just the simple title is Discouragement. We are going to look at discouragement. So here's what I'm going to do. In just a second, I'm going to read the first 21 verses of chapter 5, and I'm going to hit some high points and kind of a theme or a trajectory of the chapter, and we'll use that as a launching pad to discuss that theme. Okay, so Exodus 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21 for us. Join me in reading God's word. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Let the heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves and wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and Paul Bunyan, or not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, he's not a writer, and C.S. Lewis have some things in common. They're, they're all writers and they wrote extensively on the Christian life in the form of allegory. And in and, and, and talking about the Christian life, this journey with Jesus, one common theme that all three of those authors tried to hit is in Christ, we are no longer under the power and penalty of sin and death, but sin and death remain present. Here's what I mean by that. 
When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he has paid in full the wages of your sin. There is no more penalty. There is no more punishment for the Christian because of the work of Christ. And now as someone who is united to Christ by faith, you have the spirit dwelling within you. And one of the roles of the spirit in your life is to empower you to pursue holiness, to put to death sin. Sin is no longer your master, but Christ is. So the power of sin is no longer over you you, but sin remains present in our hearts and in this world, which is why we encounter suffering and trials and temptation and setbacks in in our own sin. And so in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, the main character is a man named Christian. Christian lived in the city of destruction, and then he was called to go on this journey towards the celestial city. But the whole time on his journey towards the celestial city, he would wander, he would backtrack, he would be tempted, He would find himself in sinking sand. He would have others trying to distract him and call him back to the city of destruction. He continued to face discouraging circumstances. And then in in The Hobbit, we we meet one of the main characters, Bilbo Baggins, who gets called on, again, this wonderful journey. And then in one of the chapters of The Hobbit, it's entitled, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. And what Tolkien's getting at in that chapter is that a lot of times, the Christian life is out of the frying pan and into the fire. What happens when things get harder, not better? And in this particular chapter, the entire crew is journeying under the misty mountains and and they're chased down by goblins during this, this time under the mountain and they narrowly escape out this hole from the misty mountains, but they find themselves in a forest. And then in this forest, they're surrounded by an angry pack of wolves that chase them up trees. Well, when they're hanging out up in in the trees, eventually the goblins discover them. They, they set a ring of fire around them. And this is where Tolkien writes this. The smoke was in Bilbo's eyes. He could feel the heat of the flames. And through the reek, he could see the goblins dancing round and round in a circle. They began to sing their terrible ta- song. Burn, burn, tree and fern. Shrivel and scorch a fizzling torch to light the night for our delight. And what Tolkien's getting at there is they, they, they thought they had escaped the goblins. They thought they had been in the home free, the home stretch, right? And then they get surrounded again and there's this fire surrounding them and it's this hard journey that they're called into. And then C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, we encounter the Pevensey siblings who are saved by the lion Aslan who lays down his life to sacrifice his his life for these siblings. And even though he is resurrected and, and they're reunited, they continually face their enemies and they're continually facing those who are pressing down on them. But all the while they're crying out onward and upward to Narnia and to the north. And what's going on here in all three of these writings is that these authors are writing about the Christian life and journey where we're constantly facing pain and circumstances that are hard and enemies pressing down on us. And yet the call of the Christian is to continue to press forth and to cry out onward and upward to Narnia and to the north. Now, what does that have to do with Exodus? Well, in Exodus chapter five, we almost get a needle taken to a balloon that just deflates the whole book of Exodus. 
We have the first few chapters where it's pain and it's hard and there's slavery and there's injustice and then Moses is born and he's preserved and then we get into chapter three where God calls and commissions Moses to be his deliverer of the people of Israel and then Moses fails and he flees and he finds himself in the Midian desert and then in the Midian desert, Moses for 40 years matures as a shepherd. He has a family, he creates a life, he has his father-in-law and everything seems to be going better. And Moses, for the first time, begins to be obedient to the calling of God. God says, go back to Egypt. I will protect you along the way. You will perform these signs before the elders of Israel and all the people of Israel. They will believe you. And then I will deliver you from the hand of Pharaoh. And through Moses' obedience, God is faithful to all of his words and all of his promises. Moses and Aaron return back to Egypt. They indeed get there unscathed. They do perform these signs. Aaron speaks the the words that Moses gives him. The elders believe. The people bow their heads and worship. And so in that moment, at the end of chapter four, we're kind of riding high for the first time in the book of Exodus. And then boom, it all comes crashing down in chapter five, verse one, afterwards, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, probably, you know, heads held high, chest puffed out. We're going to go to the court of Pharaoh. We're going to say, let my people go. And he's going to make it happen. So they say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. All right. So we're going to go out. We're going to worship the Lord in the wilderness. And then verse two comes our way. Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord? I don't know who Yahweh is. I don't know who your God is. And moreover, I'm not letting Israel go. Imagine how deflating that sentence had to be. And we're getting a sneak preview here in verse two. When Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? We know that's one of the central questions of the book of Exodus. And over the next seven or so chapters, Pharaoh is going to learn the answer to that question. He says, who is Yahweh? Pharaoh thinks I'm the sovereign. Well, he's gonna learn who the true sovereign is. Pharaoh thinks I'm all powerful. He's gonna learn who the all powerful one is. He is asking, who is the Lord? And sadly, he's gonna learn the answer to that question in a very severe way. But if you're in Moses and Aaron's position, your response to Pharaoh is not to puff up, but rather you have to bow and you have to understand that this is the answer that Pharaoh is giving you. And then it just gets worse and worse for the people. Not only do they still have to fulfill the same quota of bricks, but now they have to do it without uh, other people collecting straw for them. Not only do they still have to construct these monuments, but they have to do more work with less time. And the abuse keeps coming and the beatings keep coming. And it's not just of the slaves doing the work, but it's of the Israelite foremans who were in charge of the projects. They're now being beaten. And then eventually these Israelite foremans go into the the, the court of the Pharaoh and, and they begin to question him. And Pharaoh throws back at them, you're lying to me and you're just lazy. You're looking to get out of your work. And it culminates in verse 21 with the foremans coming out, seeing Moses and Aaron and basically saying to them, you failed us. We don't trust you anymore. You made Pharaoh hate us, and now he has a sword that's ready to kill us. It's a massive letdown of a chapter, which is why the central question we're going to encounter throughout the entire sermon this morning is, what do we do 
with discouragement. What do Christians do with discouragement? What is our response to it? And if we're being honest, I'm willing to bet that most, if not every single one of us is facing a fair amount of discouragement in our lives right now. Like 2020 is a complete dumpster fire. We're seeing civil unrest, we're seeing murder, we're seeing riots, we're seeing pain. We've seen a global pandemic and economic collapse. We're seeing our globe being completely fractured and disunified. And that's just everything out there. What about everything in our personal lives? What about the pain that we're facing in loneliness and in isolation and lack of community? What do we do with discouragement? What do we do when that same habitual sin comes and trips us up again? What do we do when a spouse or a dear friend dies unexpectedly? What do we do when we fail to get married, to have children, or to make ends meet? What do we do when we get the worst of the diagnosis, the one that comes out of left field? What do we do when the losses continue to mount and the suffering sets in? What do we do when things get harder, not better? In other words, what do we do with discouragement? So here's the main point for the sermon this morning. We get through discouragement by clinging to Christ. We get through discouragement by clinging to Christ. Now, notice a couple of words there in that main point. I said we get through discouragement. Now, there's there's two reasons why I said get through discouragement. Number one, discouragement is inevitable. It's coming for all of us. Remember, sin and brokenness are still present in this world. Not a single one of us will be able to escape discouragement or suffering in our Christian journey. Just like the Pevensey siblings, just just like Bilbo Baggins, just like Christian from Pilgrim's Progress, discouragement is coming our way. But we can get through it, which means there's another side to discouragement and that's encouragement in Christ and in our gospel. So we don't flee from discouragement. We don't fight against discouragement. We don't avoid it. We don't bury our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not real, but rather we work right through it by clinging to Christ and trusting that as tightly as we're clinging to him, he's clinging to us all the more tightly. And, and so let me just kind of let the cat out of the bag here. This, is, this isn't kind of a, a pop Christianity pseudo-therapy sermon where I'm going to say, you know, speak an alternate existence into being by not looking at your circumstances and looking another direction. I think that's exhausting and, and I think that's false, but rather the Bible will tell us, look at your discouragement and then look through your discouragement at your Christ, cling to him and you will get through it. And there's hope and there's good news and there's rest for us in that. So we get through discouragement by clinging to Christ. Specifically, I'm gonna talk about four ways that we can cling to Christ. Let me run those down real quick. We cling to Christ by recognizing the reality of discouragement, by remembering gospel truths, by running to the means of grace and by rejecting impatience, okay? So first point, We cling to Christ by recognizing the reality of discouragement. Remember, we we have to look straight at our circumstances in our suffering, in our trials, in our temptations, in our discouragement. We have to recognize that it's real. It's not a facade and it's not like someone's out to get you. I think a lot of us have, have subtly embraced kind of a Christian karma theology, 
where we say, God, look at all I'm doing for you. Look at how I'm serving you. Look at how I'm pursuing you. Look at how I'm giving to you. Why do all the bad things happen to me? But, but then I look outward and I see a friend who's pagan to the core and everything seems to be going hunky-dory for him. Why is it so? Why are good things happening for bad people and bad things happening for good people? And again, the Bible knows nothing of Christian karma, but the Bible will teach us there isn't a good person. There's only been one good person person and he died to save all of us, all the bad people. So we must recognize the reality of discouragement and we must, must own that there's three different ways in which discouragement will come about. The first way discouragement comes our way is we become discouraged due to our own sin. When we participate in our flesh, when we accept the temptations of the enemy and we give in to sin, a spiritual lethargy, a spiritual apathy will come over us and life will get dull and will get gray as we are no longer excited and zealous about Jesus, but rather our eyes are fixed on our sin and, and finding fulfillment and satisfaction in our sin. And that will always lead us to discouragement. So that's number one. Another reason we become discouraged is due to sin against us. It's not just our sin. It's the sin that people have committed against us, which surely leaves wounds and it, and it leaves pain and it leaves hurt deep in our souls that only Jesus can heal and cover and restore and renew. But when we're sinned against so often, we run to other sources to try to heal us in only a way that Christ can. And then finally, we can become discouraged because we live in a broken world. We live in a sin-fractured world where we embrace a depravity of man theology that we are, are sinful to the core and we're incapable of good apart from Christ. And, and what we know is men and women who are depraved are leading this world. Our institutions, our, our politics, the, the, the different organizations in this world. So therefore, those things are, are sinful as well. And we see brokenness all around us due to this. And then we see the brokenness in this world due to to natural disasters and things like that. And it can just lead to a deep discouragement within us of why are things this way? But whatever it is, whatever means of discouragement, what I know is we've all created our own little coping mechanisms of escape. We all try to avoid it. We all try to pretend like it's not real. Some of us try to escape by, by going to the bottle or excessively eating or smoking. Some of us uh, numb ourselves and attempt to escape by, by working too much and too hard and for too long. We become workaholics to escape the gray feeling within. Some of us attempt to escape discouragement by, by buying things we can't afford to have that temporary satisfaction. Some of us attempt to escape discouragement by hiding behind our intellect, our education, or the things we've attained. Some of us attempt to escape discouragement through religious platitudes where we theologize things and we hide behind that. Whatever your coping mechanism is, we all attempt to escape. But the Bible will paint us a reality that will say, no, 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 look at your discouragement and recognize that it's real and recognize what's going on in your heart. We've already seen this in the book of Exodus with the Israelites. When they find themselves enslaved, when they find themselves beaten down, what's their response? 
Their response is not to pretend like it's not happening. Their response is to cry out to the Lord in their pain. Their response is to plead with the Lord to deliver them. They are recognizing that they are experiencing suffering and discouragement, and they have unbelief that God is not faithful to his word. Another person in the Old Testament is King David, who faced deep amount of discouragement, and and, and due to those three categories. He was discouraged because of his own sin with, with Bathsheba, and against Uriah. He he was discouraged because of sin done against him as King Saul was chasing him down for 13 years through mountains as he hopped from one cave to another. He experienced uh, his own son sinning against him as he tried to take the throne from him. King David was deeply discouraged at times in his life and he didn't avoid it, but he recognized the reality of it. We see it all over the book of Psalms and particularly we can see it in Psalm 42. Read with me Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God? With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Can you feel how almost schizophrenic that psalm is? I'm gonna praise God. My my hope is in God. I remember God, but the constant questioning of God. Why, God, have you forgotten me? Why are my tears my food? God, why are my adversaries and my enemies taunting me and mocking you? God, why am I in turmoil? Why is my soul cast down within me? King David is recognizing the discouragement he is facing. And there's no platitudes here. There's a simple crying out to God. Now, why is recognizing our discouragement so important when it comes to clinging to Christ? Well, Charles Spurgeon will give us some advice here as he's preaching on trials and discouragement in our lives. He will say this, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. What Spurgeon is getting at there is that the trials and the discouragement that we're facing in this life are like waves that keep crashing over us and the onslaught will not slow down or stop and you're being thrown into a rocky harbor over and over and over again. 
But then at your lowest of lows, at the most painful point in your life, you discover that those rocks that you're being crashed against are actually the rock of ages. Jesus Christ, the one who condescended and came into the lowest of lows and faced every type of discouragement, temptation, and trial that we ever faced. And he did so perfectly. And now as our great high priest, he invites us into his presence. And he says, I am with you in the midst of difficulty, depression, and discouragement and you can assault my throne of grace in your time of need and I will give you grace and help and mercy. We find that the rocks we're being crashed against are actually Jesus Christ. And this is good news for the Christian. We don't need to pull ourselves up out of this, but Jesus Christ is right there in the middle of it with us and he's not going anywhere. So are you discouraged right now? Are you avoiding it? Are you hiding from it? Can you recognize it? And then you can look to Christ who is with you in the middle of it. The first way we cling to Christ is by recognizing the reality of discouragement. Point number two, in the midst of discouragement, we cling to Christ by remembering gospel truths. We can remember gospel truths. So Pharaoh in verse two says to the Israelites, no, I'm not letting you go. I don't even know who this Yahweh is. And the first response from Moses and Aaron in verse three is that the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Their response is to remember the meeting with Yahweh on that mountain through the burning bush, the calling and the commissioning, all the promises of God to the excuses of Moses. And they are remembering he has met with us. He has kept his word and he will continue to keep his word. When discouragement sets in, we must remember God. And we must remember his good news. Nothing will cripple our growth quite like gospel amnesia. Forgetting the beauty of Jesus Christ, forgetting the good news of the gospel, forgetting the promises of God to his people, that will cripple us and we will get so down in our discouragement that we will stop moving forward through it. But rather the gospel will beckon us, keep looking to Jesus, keep remembering the truths, keep clinging to the promises. We cling to Christ by remembering gospel truths. So I have some beautiful gospel truths for us all to cling tightly to this morning. I need these and you need these. Number one, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. This is according to Romans 8. There is nothing, no onslaught of the enemy, no sin you can commit, no word spoken over you, no darkness, not even death itself can separate the Christian from his savior, from the love of the savior for the saint. It is on you, it is with you, it is in you. Christ is loving of you and that's not going anywhere. So when you're discouraged, remember, this doesn't mean Christ stopped loving you. This doesn't mean that Christ dislikes you. This doesn't mean that Christ hates you. Cling to the love of Christ, which you cannot be separated from. Number two, you can have peace in all things because you have peace with God. Romans 5.1 tells us, therefore, because we have been justified by Christ, declared innocent of our sin, declared righteous because of Jesus, because of that, we now have peace with God. Now, notice this is not the peace of God. The peace of God is the inner harmony that we feel in all circumstances, but rather this is peace with God, that Jesus Christ vertically gave us peace with God where he was previously opposed to us because 
because of our sin, he is now in favor of us because of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ in our place, that he died for us and he was resurrected and gives us new life. And now we have peace with God. Therefore, we can remember that if God is for us, who can be against us? And when discouragement sets in, we remember we've always got God by our side, with us, before us, coming behind us. He surrounds us, peace with God. Number three, God, who did not even spare his own son, will daily strengthen and provide for you. Here's the thing about discouragement. Discouragement will constantly have us looking to the future, wondering when things will change constantly borrowing tomorrow's trouble and getting anxious and worrying about those things. But the call of Christ is to live for today and for today to find strength and peace and happiness and satisfaction and contentment. And daily Christ pours out upon us in abundance new mercies. The scriptures will tell us that Christ is close to the brokenhearted. Christ is close and comforts those who are afflicted and crushed in spirit. And every single day he will give us our manna, so to speak, to survive that day, the strength for that day, provision for that day, mercy for that day. So draw all daily upon the goodness of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then number four, our best life is not now. Our best life is to come. First Peter chapter one will tell us that we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us where Christ Jesus is. And that inheritance is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It's going nowhere. And our inheritance is a living hope because we have a living savior. And there is a day coming for the Christian where all pain will be banished. Every tear will be wiped away. We will no longer cry out. Why is there turmoil within me? Because there will be no more turmoil. God will eradicate all of that in the new creation. And so we cling tightly to a future that is coming for the Christian that is so much better than now. And we understand we can get through this because we know what's coming our way. And so we fight discouragement by daily preaching these gospel truths to ourselves. No one talks to you more than you. No one lies to you more than you. And no one listens to you more than you than you. What are you speaking to yourself? Are you embracing the lies of the flesh or the enemy that will perpetuate discouragement? Or are you speaking these beautiful gospel truths to yourself that will lift your eyes, that will carry you through discouragement and will give you great courage in our Savior? If we cling to the things of this world that will wither and fade away, but if we cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is sure and steady and eternal. It's going nowhere. So we cling to Christ by recognizing the reality of discouragement, we cling to Christ by remembering gospel truths in the midst of discouragement. Number three, we cling to Christ by running to the means of grace. Here's what I mean by means of grace. 
God has given us many tools in his grace and in his wisdom. He has given us tools and ways in which we can experience him, taste his grace, have our unbelief met with his promises and have the good news of the gospel wash over us. And what we must do in discouragement is continually run to those things, not away from those things. So God has given to us his word. And in his word, we are given an enlarged view of who God is and all the things that he has said of us. We learn about what God has done and how to abide in him and in his promises. Do not neglect God's word. In neglecting God's word, you're neglecting God's nourishment of your weary soul. And to to that end, we want to equip you in God's word. This summer, during our our slate of summer classes, we're going to launch a how to study your Bible class where you're going to do a deep dive through the book of James and you're also going to be given the tools to study scripture and make your way through scripture in such a way that we can cling to the promises of God and have our faith strengthened. So sign up for that class when it comes our way. Another means of grace God has given us is his ear The throne of grace is wide open to us. The door is wide open in prayer and in petition. Assault the throne of God. Cry out to him. Ask him. He is pleased to hear you, Christian. You need to understand this. God is not ever shocked by anything you would pray. God is never surprised by anything you would pray. And God never takes on the posture of like, oh, here we go again. That same request that same prayer. That's not who our God is, but rather our God is a gentle father who says, come, be like little children to me. Look to me with faith and make any and all requests known. And again, we have ways of making that happen here at the church. We do twice a month prayer nights. Look for that on the events page of our website where we'll spend some time corporately praying for a few things and then we'll jump into breakout rooms with two or three of us and we'll get deep dive into prayer for each other. We, we do pray. You can text in for a prayer request. You can fill out the online prayer portal. We want to pray with you and for you. Another means of grace that God has given us to fight discouragement is community. God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's the truth. When I cannot strengthen my own faith, which is often, I need you and others to strengthen my faith for me, to remind me of the gospel truths that I'm forgetting, to remind me of the goodness of Jesus that I'm forgiving, to call me, to lift my eyes, to look to God's word, to see our King in all of his glory. We need each other where we can confess confess our sin, be assured of our forgiveness, and be be spurred on for greater holiness. Listen, American Christianity has kind of developed us into a theology of every man for himself Christianity and isolated Christianity, and the Bible knows nothing of that. Christianity is always corporate and always shared, and so we want to invite you into community where you can be known and loved and you can know and love others. If you're not involved in community, email us. Fill out a a form to let us know you're looking for a home group or jump into a class. We want to get you intimately connected here into the life of the church. You cannot survive on your own. 
Another means of grace God has given us is this gathering. And, and listen, I understand we're not gathering in the way we, we want to right now, but we're still gathering where you're hearing the word sung and you're hearing the word preached and you're praying and you're jumping onto Zoom with your home groups and all these different ways in which we are able to still gather and sit under the preached word of God. And, and listen, when we do get back in person, all of your unexcused absences are gone. All right, if, if, we're, if we want this and we're starving for this, I'm starving for this. I'm not gonna just make lazy excuses to miss this. Hebrews 10 would tell us and command us, do not neglect the gathering. Why? Our souls need it. We need to gather with brothers and sisters, hold the communion elements and remember Christ's body broken and blood shed in our place. We need to fellowship after service to encourage each other and pray for each other. And friends, that day is coming soon. So let's pray all the more for it and yearn for it. And remember, God is good in the midst of it. So we must cling to Christ by running to the means of grace God has given us and find that he will supply us with that grace. The final thing we do to cling to Christ is we reject impatience. We cling to Christ by rejecting impatience. Now, again, in, in chapter five, try to contextually place yourself in, in Moses's world. So Moses has this letdown. God's promises were coming to pass, but all of a sudden there's a halt to that. What's going on, Lord? And what the old Moses would do, as we learned back in chapter two, is take the, the work into his own hands where he became judge, jury, and executioner of the, 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 the Egyptian man who was killing the uh, Israelite slave, was beating the Israelite slave. Moses took the place of God and impatiently moved forward and stalled the movement of God among the people of Israel. The old Moses, Moses would have done that, but the Moses we're encountering now is, is 80 and he spent 40 years in the Midian desert being sanctified and matured and he doesn't do that. He sits by patiently trusting that God indeed will work. God just doesn't work on our clock and God doesn't work on our calendars. God works according to his infinite wisdom and his perfect timing. And when we find ourselves deeply discouraged, so often what we do is we'll shift into the mode of, all right, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands. I'm gonna push things. I'm gonna move things around. I'm gonna change some circumstances. I'm gonna act out. I'm gonna to try to escape. I'm gonna run from this. I'm gonna fight from this. But God doesn't call us to do any of those things. Instead, God holistically across the scriptures will tell us, wait on me, be patient on me, for me. And remember in the waiting, I am absolutely working. Just because you're waiting patiently does not mean God is idle, does not mean that God has kind of just set this thing in motion and then is stepping back and mocking us, but rather God is still intimately working. John Piper says, God is working in 10,000 different ways. We might only be aware of three of them. So listen with me to a few of the scriptures that will tell us to wait on God. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Find courage in waiting. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. And then later on in the book of Exodus 14, verse 14, the Lord will, that's a promise, fight for you. You only have to be silent. We can get through discouragement 
We can cling to Christ in the midst of discouragement by being patient, by taking courage, by looking to Christ, by praying to him and trusting that he is God, we're not, and he will fight for us so we don't have to. So let me close like this. Psalm 73 says this, my heart and flesh fail, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a promise that our heart and our flesh will will fail. It's gonna happen. And when it happens, that's when the discouragement will set in. But there's a second half to that verse. The Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is this true of you? Do you believe this? Do you understand that everything I just preached cannot be accomplished under your own power and by your own grit, but rather it must be done by Christ in you and Christ through you. You must draw your strength from him. You must draw your portion from him. He must be alone, the one who is king and God of your life. And this is what makes being Christian so amazing. What I get to do is wave the white flag and say, I'm helpless, hopeless, needy, and weary, but God is with me. God is working for me. He is my help. He is my strength. Surely he will deliver me and he will revive my soul. He will lead me by still waters. He will restore the deep places in my life that are discouraged and wandering. Discouragement does not have the final word. Jesus does. As we continue journeying through Exodus, we will see that on display. Pharaoh does not have the final word. Yahweh does. Who is the Lord? We're about to find out. And what we know is we can get through discouragement by clinging to Christ. Now, I don't do this very often, but um, I'm going to make a a call for response to this sermon Uh, in just three different categories of people. Uh, If you're a Christian and you find yourself deeply discouraged right now, I want you to let us know. I want you to email us I want you to fill out a connect card. I want you to write in a prayer request. Don't, don't resist the movement of the Spirit in your life. And just write in. Let us call you. Let us reach back out to you. And let us come alongside you and pray for you. Um, if you're a Christian who's not currently discouraged, if life is going pretty well right now, you have a role to play in the life of our church. And the role is to comfort others because everyone around you isn't feeling the same way you are. And we get to draw on the strength and the hope that we have right now and deal it out to those who are deeply discouraged and need the comfort that only you can provide for them as the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. So again, don't neglect all the tools we have here. Don't neglect prayer night. Don't neglect the digital gathering. Don't neglect your home group. Don't be anonymous and hidden right now. Be known and be a force of good in this community. We need you. And then finally, if you're a non-Christian and you find yourself discouraged, let me just say, that, that, that's okay. Let me normalize that emotion. And, and let me also say, you cannot pull yourself up out of your discouragement. Oftentimes, all we want is a change of circumstance, which reveals that we worship not God, but we worship at the God of personal convenience. We must want Christ over comfort. And so let me make the call to the non-Christian who's discouraged right now. If you are discouraged, you cannot change that. You cannot lift yourself out, but Christ can. 
the waves that are crashing you upon the rocky harbor, what you will discover is that Christ is there and he died to save you, to rescue you, to set your feet on solid ground and to be with you now and forevermore. You merely must turn from your sin and trust in him all the more. So again, fill out a connect card, email us, let us know. We wanna help you do this. You're not alone in this. Christ is with you and we're with you. When discouragement sets in, we get through it by clinging to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, which invites us into every circumstance of life, encouragement and deep discouragement. And I know right now, this past week, my soul needed this text. My soul needed to do a deep dive on what to do with discouragement. I found myself there, helpless, needy, weary. Through your word, you revived my soul. You gave me gospel truths to cling to. You gave me a reminder that Christ has not abandoned me. His love is still with me. You've given me fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who were praying on my behalf, who were encouraging me and checking in on me. And God, this is the beauty of your church. This is the beauty of our Savior, the Lord of the church, the one we can cling to and trust that as much as we are clinging to him, he is clinging all the more tightly to us. He is not gonna let us down. He is not gonna take his eye off us. He's not gonna open his hands and let us slip away, but rather he is with us. And so God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Would you encourage them in the truth of the gospel? And right now, for those who are not Christians, God, would you save them, draw them to yourselves and lift their eyes off of themselves to see the beauty, the majesty, the glory, and the power of Jesus Christ, the one who saves them. God, we need you to do a work in our world, in our church, and in our lives. So we're no longer drawing on our strength, on our wisdom, on our intellect, but we're drawing on your strength, your wisdom, and your grace. We need you, God. Would you give that to us? In Christ's name, amen.